Precious Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this opportunity to gather in your name today. We want to thank you that wherever we may be, that your presence is there also. We pray that during this time that you will let someone know that they have value to you and to the kingdom. We pray that you will let someone know that no matter what is going on out there today, that you are still on the throne and that you love us so very much. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Hello, my brothers and sisters. Let's go to the word, shall we? Let's turn to Philippians 3. 17 through 20, which reads, Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Christ Jesus. We'll begin by asking the question, what does it mean to be a citizen of heaven. What does it mean to be a citizen of heaven? By the time that we're gathering together here online, we've just taken part in our latest presidential election. I was so blessed to see West Angeles take part in this election as a voting center. It was the first time in the history of West Angeles that we were able to do this because in the past, we were always at our holy convocation, which occurs at the same time as the general election. But because we've had to postpone our national convocation in the wake of the COVID-19 epidemic, we were presented with the rare opportunity to serve our community in this way. I was so proud to be there with Lady Deandra and our sons, Charles and Julian, who are still too young to vote, but they will always remember being there. I have to admit that I casted my ballot early with a mix of cautious hope, optimism, and a determination to do my part. I don't know about you, but it was almost like I held my breath as I cast my ballot. It seems like we've been quietly afraid, afraid to hope too much because it would hurt too bad if things didn't go the way that we hoped they would. It seems like with the way that everything is going now with the epidemic and racial division and police killings and political divisiveness that our hearts can't take another blow to our sense of righteousness and rightness. We needed a win 
like never before. There's been so much division, even within the body of Christ. There seems to be two different Christianities at work in America today. One says, love thy neighbor as you love yourself. Be kind to the poor, the widow, the orphan, the immigrant. And the other says, put them out from among you. They say that you can build housing for the homeless, but not in my backyard. Even in our churches, we've chosen sides based on race and ideology, even if we're slow to admit it. How much have we as believers been co-opted by worldly, racial, and national agendas? How much have we let a particular political party tell us as the body of Christ which way to vote or believe? How much have some of us who call ourselves children of the Most High compartmentalized the gospel and supported parties and candidates that acted completely outside of the gospel and looked the other way because they play to our own personal preferences and fears. I'm here to remind us that as born again believers in Christ Jesus, that before we are members of a political party, we are first and foremost citizens of the kingdom of heaven that we are first and foremost members of the body of Christ. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be in the world, but not of the world? What are the tenets of the kingdom regarding the treatment of the have-nots, the immigrant, the widow? What are the tenets of the kingdom regarding those other races and ethnicities, regarding compassion and empathy, regarding apathy, narcissism, and vanity. As citizens of the kingdom, how should we approach these issues? Now, it's been said that morality cannot be legislated. So do we spend our time as Christians trying to affect the laws governing certain behavior do we spend time trying to speak to the mindsets, spirits, and culture that sits behind the behaviors? Do we spend our time protesting against abortion or gun rights, or do we do what we can to express how valuable life is? Now, if we at our core as a nation do not see the value of life, then no piece of legislation is going to matter until we as a nation can learn to stop valuing our own pleasure above the lives and welfare of our children and their future, then we will continue to face a multitude of issues in our culture, our economy, and our everyday lives. If we valued life over profit and carried compassion into some of the boardrooms of our largest corporations, then we would not have to worry about whole towns being shut down to cut costs, leaving millions of people unemployed and destitute. We have to remember that whoever sits in the White House, that it is God that sits on the throne. We have to remember that even when the person that we voted for wins the election, 
that there is no guarantee that the world we want to see will come to pass. When President Barack Obama ran for office both times, we as African Americans and many other communities came out overwhelmingly to support him and the dream of hope and change that he represented. However, as time progressed, we found that as good a president as we thought he was, that it was going to take more than an African-American president to heal our communities and help move us out of some of the issues that we were facing as African-Americans. We even saw him as a president move to support agendas that did not have anything to do with the issues that we were facing as a community. Not because he didn't want to, but he had to be president of the United States of America. It was the same for his successor. He said that he was going to build a wall. He said he was going to drain the swamp. He said he was going to change the system. He said during his campaign in 2016 that nobody knows the system better than me, which is why I alone can fix it. He was in office and the system was still broken. Why? Because the system can't be fixed by one man or leader alone. We need to come to terms with the fact that one leader can't get us out of the situations that we may be facing. Only Jesus can get us out of the situations that we are facing. In 2008, at the Democratic National Convention, the year then Senator Barack Obama was nominated as a Democratic candidate for the President of the United States, Bishop Charles E. Blake Sr. addressed the DNC. I saw him call both parties to a higher calling. He also participated in a number of interviews during that time. I distinctly remember him expressing the dichotomy, the double identity, of our political existence as African Americans. I saw him describe how traditionally, with our values and our morals, we're conservative. But with our political perspectives, we're more progressive. We have seen how the federal government, or big government, as far back as the Civil War had a large hand in ensuring that we as African Americans attain the rights espoused in our Constitution. We remember when the U.S. Marshals and at times the National Guard had to escort young African Americans to school and universities in the South so that they could learn and get an education. Because if it was left up to states' rights, we as African Americans never would have had the opportunity to go to school. As a strong believer in the values of pro-life and traditional definitions of marriage, Bishop Blake has applauded the conservatives' defense of these values. However, he has decried the fact that their love and concern for the unborn stops at the point that they are born, and that more effort on their part is put into the construction of prisons than the institutions that would build productive citizens. We applaud and agree with the progressive assertion that equal rights and opportunities should be available to every citizen 
of our nation and the federal government should protect those rights. But we cannot agree with the wholesale annihilation and murder of millions of unborn children through abortion, nor have we traditionally agreed with the equivocation of sexual identity with that of racial designation and the rights that accompany that designation. We cannot agree with the destruction of the traditional definitions of family and marriage. So brothers and sisters, we see that neither party has a monopoly on morality. We now realize that we as African-American Christians need to articulate an agenda that speaks to both of those identities within both the conservative and progressive agendas. Those to the left say to the African-American that if we believe in civil rights for all, if we believe in the work of Martin Luther King and others that fought in the struggle for civil rights, then we should vote Democrat. Those on the right will say that if we as African-Americans believe in God and in Christian values, then we should vote Republican. While neither party has spoken to the whole of the issues and concerns of our community. It is only when we begin to articulate our own agenda that speaks to both our moral and constitutional values that we can begin to change our communities. We need strong African-American Christians in both parties. We just need for them to remember that they are African-American and Christian. Bishop put it best when he said that black people are at the top of no one's priority lists. No one is sitting around thinking about how they can specifically help black people. It is only when we put ourselves at the top of our own priority list that we will be able to deal with the issues besetting our communities. Until that time, however, there will be those that seek to define and articulate our agenda for us, and we will continue to be torn between two ideologies at war with one another. If that continues to be the case, then it will not matter who is in the White House. If you don't choose and articulate your own agenda, then rest assured, someone else will choose and articulate it for you. We have to decide our own agenda regarding health care and education and criminal justice and economic development and the aging infrastructure and the democratic process and voting rights. We have to describe our own agenda regarding foreign policy and immigration. Now, some may think that I'm being a bit too political at the moment, but in the past, our bishop has spoken to us about the Joseph paradigm. You all remember that? The Joseph paradigm in which we were told that we as African Americans, like Joseph, were taken from our land as slaves and prospered in the land of our captivity so that we could be a blessing to our brothers and sisters still in our homeland. He said that we as African Americans should be for Africa what Jewish Americans are for Israel. He founded Save Africa's Children, which ministered to and helped save more than 250,000 children on the continent of Africa. 
250,000 children. That's a reason to give the Lord praise. Before that, he founded the West Angeles Community Development Corporation in the wake of the 1992 uprising to minister effectively to a hurting community. And we praise God for the work that they have been doing. As presiding bishop, he instituted the Kojic Urban Initiatives, which sought to train and equip churches to uplift and support our communities. Now, this goes beyond politics, my brothers and sisters. This goes beyond whoever may be in office. This speaks to our agenda. He reminds us about 2 Chronicles 7 and 14, where it says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. You see, beloved, we can learn to fish for ourselves so that we don't need others to save us. We have the skill and the wherewithal to launch into the deep from our own platforms, and we can get ready for a net-breaking, boat-sinking blessing. You see, Paul wrote this text during his first imprisonment in a Roman prison. He wrote it as one who had moved beyond the attachment to the things of this world, who had moved beyond attachment to status, position, national identity. He wrote this letter to the brothers and sisters in Philippi as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But again, what does it mean to be a citizen of the kingdom of God? What are the benefits of citizenship? In this case, it means that you as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven are not to be swayed by the same fears and anxieties that plague those that put their faith in the things of the world. As a citizen of the kingdom, you are not caught up in and manipulated by the arguments and positions that appeal to your sense of ego, fear, or greed. I'll put it to you like this. By this, men shall know that you are my disciples, that you have love one for another. By this, men shall know that you are citizens of the kingdom of heaven, that you have love one for another. Whatever party you belong to, love one another. Now the Bible lists what we are entitled to as citizens of the kingdom. The word is full of the privileges of citizenship that we have. We are what it says we are. We have what it says we have. And if God says it, that settles it. Under normal circumstances, as an American citizen, as an emissary, if you are anywhere in the world, an assault on you can be looked at as an assault on the United States. If they mess with you, then there's a good chance, depending on who it is, that they will have to deal with the military of the United States. 
Brothers and sisters, you can rest assured that as a citizen of heaven, that when they mess with you, then they are messing with almighty God. And he said, if I be for you, who can be against you? When the enemy rushes in like a flood, my God will lift up a standard against him. In Psalms 18 and 3, it reads, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. In the name of Jesus, we have the victory. He said, I will be with you always even until the end of the age. No matter what happens, he says, I will be with you, no matter who sits in the White House. He said, never will I leave you, nor will I forsake you. This is what citizenship of heaven gives you. And there is not a wall that can be built that can keep you from it. All we have to do is believe on him and walk in it. Isaiah 9 and 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Because where his spirit is, there is peace. If there is no peace, that means his spirit isn't there. A major privilege of the citizenship of heaven is that you are born again. Because if anyone be in Christ, if anyone be a citizen of the kingdom, they are a new creature. Old things having passed away, behold, all things becoming new. Ephesians 2 and 4, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. You know, there is really only one condition that you have to satisfy to receive citizenship in the kingdom. All you have to do is believe on his name. John 3 and 15 says that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. As a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you get eternal life, victory over death. All you have to do is accept him into your heart. Oh, let's give the Lord praise. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Lord, I know that there is someone who is out there that is ready to become a citizen in your kingdom. There is someone who is out there who is ready to accept the love, peace, and freedom that only a relationship with you can give. That in the midst of all of the sound and fury of what's been going on around us, that you would show yourself to be real in their life. We pray that they would accept you in their life, that they will ask forgiveness for the wrong that they have done in their lives, 
that they will confess that your son Jesus died on the cross for their sins and arose on the third day, that they will become citizens of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. My brother, my sister, if you prayed that prayer with me and believed it from the bottom of your heart, then you are now a citizen of the kingdom of heaven and the body of Christ. We pray that you'll find a Bible-believing church to join in your area, but you're always welcome here at West Angeles. And we pray that you will live in all of the privileges of your relationship with Almighty God and the citizenship of the kingdom. God bless you, and we love you.